Lord, I pray in these next few minutes that this people will enjoy you. Lord, I pray that the expectations for an Easter morning where we're thinking about uh, maybe Easter eggs and egg hunting and visiting with friends and family, that while all those things are fun and enjoyable, that we can be tuned in to a life-changing word this morning. Pray that you will be enjoyed and you'll be savored. Pray that your otherworldly design will be on display and that by grace and by mercy and by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives through raging after Christ that you will make us more like this design and all of that for your glory. Lord, we also pray for the kids that are in children's worship right now. We just pray that they have an encounter with you. Pray that while it's kid-friendly that it's not uh, weak or thin or light but that it's appropriate for this day. Lord, we turn this time over to you for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you're here for the first time, you're here with family or friends, I just want to welcome you, give you kind of a snapshot or, I don't know, a bird's eye view of context view of where we are. Since the first Sunday in January, we as a people have been gathering around the Word in, with a pursuit of understanding shepherding and what it means to lead a family, what that looks like, whether it's in most cases a father, but in some cases single mothers who are leading a family on their own, what that looks like and how that's supposed to work. In these last few weeks, we've been engaging kind of the follower role This is the last Sunday in this series of sermons that we've called the Dib Series. These last few Sundays, though, we've engaged what it means to follow. A few Sundays ago, we considered children and how children are supposed to honor, obey parents and submit to their parents. And then last Sunday, we looked at the role of the wife. That the wife, however uncultural, (laughs) uncharacteristic it may be, uncool it may be, that the biblical model for the wife is to submit to her husband. It's God's design, and the reason, the rationale for that is not just because, not just so life will be easy at home, but because it's the gospel on display. And I'll tell you, in preparing for this Sunday, I've realized that um, I think wives have it easier. Some of you might be thinking, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to listen to the sermon. If you just automatically, oh man, submission, let me put that aside. If I don't hear it, it doesn't apply to me. Isn't that how we work? Uh, I don't know that rule, so, or I don't know that command, so it doesn't apply to me. I urge you to listen to it. Um, but as I consider the contrast between the role of the wife to submit and follow her husband and respect her husband, and the role of the husband to where we're going today, man... If there's a man in this room that's not convicted this morning, then he's either not English speaking, or he's deaf, or he's asleep, or he's thinking about lunch. Any of those possibilities could keep you from hearing this. What I'm telling you will, I suspect, be a pretty wrecking sort of truth. I want you to know, too, before we plow into it, that If you're a man that's sitting here as this thing unfolds this morning, you're thinking, man, he's picking on me. He's talking about me. Why don't he just tell me that person? I don't do that. I don't say things from the pulpit that I wouldn't say in person. Now, you may hear something from the pulpit that you haven't heard in person, but that may be just because we had not had a chance to talk about it. So I'm not picking on anybody. There's nothing personal here. I really believe, and I'm going to share a little bit of this with you, what the kind of conversations that Christy and I have had this week. I really believe that the Lord has laid me low this week and made me especially humble in preparation to preach this message to really show me, dude, you're the least of these. You better come in low on this sermon. You better come in gentle because you haven't arrived, homeboy. That's what he's done with me this week. So if any of you think, feel abused this morning, man, please don't misread passion and really a lot of it being burden and passion for myself because of what's at stake for me beating you up. Because those are two different things. They might look the same, but just know my burden. Before we plow into it too, I want to remind you about the natural. This way we began the sermon last week. 
If there's something that seems unnatural to you when you hear the word exposed, like if you were here last week and you're hearing this picture of submission, you're going, man, I'm not wired that way. That doesn't apply to me. That's, my personality is a little different. I'm a little stronger, so that's, that's not for me. We considered last week that that's the way God made you. Since the fall, we're going to go there in a little bit, Genesis chapter 3, that God made women wanting to control their husbands. So if you think you're unique, you're not. And what we considered last week is that if it seems natural and it seems effortless, then likely it's called sin. As I consider my own life, those are really the things that come effortlessly to me, is sin. The things that are supernatural, that are outside of myself, in some ways that validates that it's from a resource outside of myself. So if you hear something that's completely unnatural, let it validate the not divinity of it, because that's not a, uh, I don't want to make this a divine thing like God, but divine-like, the divine resource of God's design for the home where the wife is submitting to husband, and where we're going today, how the husband is to be to the wife. The same charge that I gave women last week, to not dismiss it if it seems unnatural and abnormal for you, but to, in fact, let it be validated. It's the same charge I'm giving to men. If you're hearing this today, you go, man, that's just not like me. Tenderness. Gentleness. Then let it be validated through that fact that it's not something that comes naturally. Today we're dealing with husbands and their otherworldly, unnatural responsibility toward their wives. And we're also going to deal with what's at stake. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be looking a lot of different places in the Word, but Ephesians chapter 5 is going to be home base. So if you have one of these little ribbons in your Bible, or you have like a big doily, you know, ladies carry these big doily Bibles, you know, these big things you stick in there. Stick a big thing right there in Ephesians chapter 5. Or if you're more high-speed, low-drag, this is all you got, put that right there. Because we're going to be coming back to it. We're going to be going to a lot of places this morning. We cannot deal lightly with this. I, I realize some of you are here like, man, I'm just here with my family. It's Easter morning, I'm kind of hoping for a light Easter egg sort of message. Bro, not here. Not today, of all days. So we're going to gnaw on it. We're gnaw on the Word together. I'm going to start in chapter 5, verse 15. As we move around the Bible, I'll give you page numbers. So if you're not familiar with your Bible, you don't have to feel embarrassed. I can't find a page. Grab that pew Bible in front of you, that blue one. If you didn't even bring a Bible, that, pew, that one in front of you, that blue one, that's, when now, that's now yours. Take it. And the page numbers I'll give you are the page numbers that are in that Bible. So you can just go there. Bam, bam. You'll be going there as fast as I go. This is on page 978, starting in verse 15. This, is a, this section here in the book of Ephesians is really kind of the, the dynamics of the people of God, how we're supposed to interact with each other, what community is supposed to look like. It, Ephesians is kind of a community book, the community of faith. So here in verse 15, it begins. It says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for it's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. That's what we've done this morning already. Singing and enjoying the melody of the Lord. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the character of the people of God, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Last week, we defined submission as voluntary, radical yielding in love. That's the character of the people of God. You, know, you hear people say, man, that church over there, those guys are fighting. You have this vision of people duking it out over carpet color or whatever. Man, I want, my burden is that the churches of Christ that are the people of God that are gathered in this community will have the characteristic of fighting, but it's not fighting over that. It's fighting to submit, fighting to voluntarily, radically yield to one another in love because that's the character of the people of God. We're leaning forward. Who can I fight? I'm fighting elbow and kung fu, fighting my flesh, my pride, to yield to one another in love. And now some more specifics deal with the wife and the husband and the children and the slave and the master in these following verses. 
In many ways, this is how we are to submit and lean forward in submission to one another. The wives have a little bit more surgical and more specific call to submit to someone in particular. And that's the next verse. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Wives, voluntarily, radically yield to another in love, and specifically that another is your husband. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his own body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also the wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, let's deal with husbands. This is what the picture of the submission looks like for the husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's going to be our guide for this morning, that verse. It's going to be kind of our starting point. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, And then from Genesis, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery that I just read about in verse 31, this mystery, this thing called marriage is profound. And I'm saying that marriage, it, that mystery, refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This house rules thing that we've been in the last few weeks, there were verbs for the children. The children verbs were to obey and honor. Those were imperative verbs. I introduced that to you a couple weeks ago. An imperative is like a shout. Obey! Honor! It's not a suggestion. The verb for the wife is submit! And the husband's verb is one word. Love! That's the verb for the husband. Now, the specific kind of love that this is, this is not eros. If you look at the root there, you can kind of figure out what kind of love I'm talking about. Eros is like, ooh, girl, you look good today. That's eros sort of love. Mm, I'm passionate for you in a physical way. It's not eros sort of love. This sort of love is not storge. Storge is the sort of love that a mom has for her children. That's not the kind of love we're talking about either. We're also not talking about phileo love. Well, hey, pal, that's my brother kind of love. Come on over here, pal. Don't treat your wife like she's your pal. The kind of love that a man is supposed to have for his woman is the sort of love that's called agape sort of love. This sort of love is just so unique. It's so otherworldly. It's got to come from a divine resource because you don't have it in you. It's the kind of love that Christ had for the church when he died for a bunch of people that don't rate it. He died for a bunch of people that don't deserve it. That's the sort of love that a man is to have for his wife that's not based on whether she rates it. It's not based on whether she's lovely. It's not based on whether she's nice and submissive and sweet, whether she's got her apron on, cooking in the kitchen your best, most favorite food. That's not the sort of love it is. This sort of love is a decision sort of love that's not based on whether they deserve it or not. That's the command for men. Now, here's where things get really challenging. Here's where things really have undone me and wrecked me this week. Here's what's prompted a lot of my, really what I'll share with you is grief this week, is the word as in verse 25. Husband, love your wives. Love, we know, is an imperative. It's a shout, command. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That might seem like a small word, but look down at verse 29 in the same chapter. Just look at it. I'm going to read what that word is translated as in verse 29, which it could be translated here in this verse. Listen to this. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as. That's the same Greek word that's here in verse 25. (laughs) Oh, man, I don't like just as. I kind of liked as. 
I kind of understand why the translator put as instead of just as. I bet homeboy was married. And as he's translating, he's going, oh, I can't say just as. I can't say husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her because that's impossible. So I'll just put as. But the Greek word is just as. It's not husbands love your wives kind of like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's not husbands love your wives sort of like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's not husband loves your, love your wives in the ballpark like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It is just as. Here's where things got hard for me. When I said, okay, and I swallowed hard, and I saw that just as is what it means. I said, okay, well, we got to go somewhere. we got to go to the life of Christ to understand that. If the husband is to love the wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, then I want to know how Christ loved the church and how he gave himself up for her. So I went to the Gospels. I just put all that aside, and I said, okay, I want to draw out some of the characteristics of the journey of our Lord here on earth. And here's where things got really difficult. The first thing that I observed when I considered that men, husbands, are to love our wives just as Christ loved the church, and we are to give ourselves up just as Christ gave himself up for the church, is I considered, first of all, that Christ showed up. There's eight things we're going to consider this morning, these observations from the life of Christ, and that's the first one, that Christ showed up. Galatians 4.4 4 says that in the fullness of time, God sent His Son. John chapter 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, it says that this Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Keep your finger in Ephesians 5 and turn over to John, 1 John chapter 1, page 1021 of your pew Bible. The first thing that happened with Christ is that he showed up. Look at this passage in 1 John. It's the book right in front of, or it's a couple of books in front of the book of Revelation. So it's toward the back of your Bibles. First John chapter 1, verse 1 says, That which was from the beginning, that's talking about Christ, the book of 1 John begins kind of a lot, a lot like the book of John. In the beginning was the Word. And here it is right here. That which was from the beginning, that, that is speaking of Christ, which was from the beginning, which we have heard. John was there. He heard Jesus talk. Which we have seen with, with our eyes. John saw him in motion, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. Concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. And we've seen it. And we testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life. Which was with the Father. And was made manifest to us. That's talking about Jesus. That's talking about Christ. The first thing that's true of Christ. Is that he showed up. And John is saying man we touched him. We smelled him. We felt him. We heard him. We experienced this Jesus. And if the husband is to love his, his wife just as Christ loved the church, then the husband's got to show up just as Christ loved the church. You cannot love your wife like Christ loved the church virtually. Hopefully you're going to the place where I want you to go when I say the word virtually. You're going to the web. You're going to video, teleconferencing, all these crazy things that we can do to be connected to people. We, we're connected to people on the other side of the world in Kazakhstan. Virtual stuff is cool. But virtual stuff's not in the flesh. The husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Why didn't Jesus show up right now when he could have used the internet and got all over the world? Because he showed up and walked at three miles an hour in the flesh with 12 jokers. And that's the character of the relationship between the husband and the wife. I'd like to find a workaround for some of you that are busy and going here, there, and everywhere, but I can't find it. We've got to be in the flesh with our wives to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Just as love is incarnate. 
I shared with you a couple weeks ago, don't be afraid of new words. A new word is a parking spot for a new thought. And the word incarnate is a word that you should know. It means in the flesh. This reality that Jesus didn't take care of this business from afar. He came and took on the same stuff that you and I have on. And he was bumping elbows with his disciples and with his followers. That's the character of the husband's ministry to the wife. You can't do it virtually. Secondly, he walked with them at three miles an hour. He showed up, and then he walked with them at three miles an hour. Turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. I'm just going to give you a few little snapshots. Just real quick snapshots on about five, six different uh, chapters in Matthew. Just, I'm going to read a little verse, and I want you to keep your eye on the football, and the football being the disciples and Christ, and where they are relative to each other. Okay, that'd be two footballs, I guess, the disciples in Christ. Keep your eye on them and kind of see where they are relative to each other as I look in Matthew chapter 5, page 809. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Turn over to chapter 8, verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Look at chapter 9, verse 19. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. Look at chapter 13. Beginning, verse 1, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into the boat and he sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. Okay, where are the disciples? Look at verse 10, Jesus just shared a parable, and then in verse 10, it says, the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Look over at verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and the disciples came to him saying, explain to us this parable of the weeds of the field. What I want you to see, what I want you to appreciate, is where Jesus is, the disciples are. And they're walking all over the place. And they're walking to Judea. Walking to Bethany, Galilee, Samaria, to the temple. They're walking to the pool at Bethesda. They're walking to Nazareth. They're walking and they're talking and they're engaging. We've got four or five couples or groups of people that walk around our neighborhoods. It's mainly couples. Any time of day you can look out my front window, especially with it nice right now. And a couple's walking by, you know. Lots of husbands and wives. And they're walking by, and, and, and what, what are they doing while they're walking? They're not quiet and silent. Man, they're talking. Me, who doesn't talk a whole lot in kind of a social sort of way, I'm looking at it going, how do they do that? What do they talk about so much? Especially ladies, man. They spend all day together. What do you talk about all day? But these guys, these couples, these pairs, these groups of people that are walking around these neighborhoods, and I know they're walking around yours, they're walking and they're talking and they're engaging. And it's so personal, and it's so intimate, and it's so daily. And that's the way the, lo the love of a husband for a wife is supposed to be. It's supposed to be daily. It's supposed to have a consistent beat like footsteps, like the beat of a metronome. It's supposed to be daily engaging our wives. It's not supposed to be sporadic. It's not supposed to be just when she's hacked. It's supposed to be in front of when she's hacked. Walking with her in the flesh, engaging her, enjoying her like two people enjoy each other on a walk. Christ showed up. He walked with them at three miles an hour. Next, he was lowly. Christ didn't just show up and move into some sort of mansion. Christ showed up and was born into a stable by essentially paupers. When Christ showed up, some of the things we've looked at in the last year or so in John, in John chapter 12, this triumphant entry into Jerusalem that we always portray as this incredible event where all Jerusalem is saying, make him king, crown him Lord and Lord, Lord of lords, and they're sw swinging the palm branches 
And then Jesus looks around for, where, where's the donkey's colt? And the disciples say, huh? Where are my donkey's colt that I can climb up on to show them the sort of king that I am? As my toes drag the ground and his disciples are going, oh, Jesus, you look like a goober. They're trying to make you king. Get off the donkey's colt. I want to show them the sort of king that I am. I'm a lowly king. And this same king in the next chapter, in chapter 13 of John, having received all things into his hands from the Father, man, that sounds like the time where you're going to be like, ah, victory is won. What does he do? He takes off his outer garments. He pours some water and he gets down on his feet or on his knees and his hands. And he washes dirty, old, nasty toenails. That's the sort of ministry that the husband is to have for the wife. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5. I told you to go back to your string or your doily. I want you to notice something. Men, pay close attention to this. This is the charge that's given to women, beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Let's take the same subject over. Wives, I'm still talking to you, Paul. I'm still talking to you, wives. Wives, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Men... What you need to appreciate when I'm saying that we've got to come in low, that we should be lowly in serving our wives, is you've got to appreciate that this issue of headship was shared with the wife. It wasn't written to you. Your command is to love, remember? It's not behead over your wife. He didn't write it in the section to you. He didn't write it to say, men, you need to just, you need to own that headship over that wife. That's what it's about. He said, love your wives. Oh, by the way, wives, he's your head. Don't let him know that, though. <laughs> he want to run with it. I shared with you last week that this is wired into us. Genesis chapter 3, the consequences of the fall is that the wife wants to, wife wants to, to she has a desire for her husband. I shared with you last week that I'm sorry, guys, that's not like a, ooh, baby, you look good kind of desire. It's a desire that I want to, I want to control you and not get a death. For real. That's what's natural for the woman. And what's natural for the man is that his desire will be to rule over you. That's built into us as a result of the fall. But that's not appropriate for the man loving his wife as Christ lo- just as Christ loved the church. He comes in low. There's a name for that dude that wants to push his headship over his wife. It's called jerk. That's not biblical leadership in the home. You cannot love your wife just as Christ loved the church if you're lording headship over her. Your love for her is to be low and gentle and tender and patient. Your love rides a donkey's colt and washes dirty toenails. The next thing that was true of Christ's ministry is that Christ was attentive. I was thinking about some of the snapshots that we've considered in John. In John chapter 6, he feeds the multitudes. He's preaching, and man, these dudes are hungry. They've been out there all day. He preached longer than I preach. And they're hungry. He said, let's feed these guys. In John chapter 5, he comes up to the pool of Bethesda, and there's hundreds of people lying around, lame, sick, and he comes up to the Bethesda dude. The guy's been lame for 38 years. He tells him to get up. The character of Christ's ministry is the picture of him feeding the hungry multitudes, of him healing the sick, and also even calming the fearful. Jesus pushed out in a boat with a bunch of the disciples in Mark chapter uh, 4. And there's this incredible storm that comes up, and Jesus is snoozing. He's sleeping in the uh, front or the back, doesn't matter. He's sleeping in the boat. And they're all scared to death. Man, we're going to sink. And he wakes up, and what does he say? He says, peace be still. The character of our Lord's ministry for his little micro church of these disciples was that he's feeding the multitudes, that he's healing the sick, and that he's calming the frightened. 
And it's right here in Ephesians chapter 5. If we're still there, look back at verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. That little phrase, like your own bodies, I started thinking about. How do I love myself? I started thinking, you know, man, I'm going to feed myself. If I need rest, I'm going to get my rest on. I'm going to find a way to do it. That's why I got curtains in my office in case I need to take a little snooze sometime during the day. Now, what I'm talking about is loving your wife as you love yourself means that you are in front of your needs. If you're like me, I don't wait till I'm hungry to eat. The clock tells it's 11-something, 11.15 in the morning during the weekday. I know I'm going to be hungry about 12.15, so I'm going to stay in front of that need. That's the way our love for our wives ought to be, anticipating their needs. And the reality is, men, most of us, is that we meet the needs of our wives reactively. We meet the needs of our wives whenever they start griping and complaining about something. Or when we see it in their face. Imagine the thought of tending to your wife like you tend to yourself and being proactive and being in front of a need before she even has it. I was thinking about some of the things that I do. Sometimes I treat myself. Man, do you ever treat your wife? I think about some of the things that I do whenever I'm feeling empty and broken and tired. I'm going to figure out some way to get away and be refitted and refilled and refueled. Have I ever thought about that for my wife? Man, I'm convicted about those sort of things. Have I ever thought, I want to figure out some way so my wife can get away and spend some time with the Lord. I'll take the kids. And I'll make the commitment to not call her when she's 15 minutes away from the house. How do I do this? How do I change a diaper? I'm going to make a commitment to be a man and give her a chance to get away and be refitted and refueled and refreshed just like I do for myself. That's loving her attentively. That's loving her like we love our own bodies. The just-as husband has, an, has, he has a central nervous system. Some of you scientific guys are paid attention in biology. You know we have a central nervous system. I was thinking about this, that the man that's loving his wife as Christ loved the church, just as. He's got his central nervous system, but he's also got an auxiliary nervous system. And that all, my auxiliary nervous system is sitting right there. And the hurts and the pains that my bride feels, I need to feel too. I need to feel them just as clearly and distinctly as she feels it. My wife suffers from backaches every day. Not every now and again. Every day. And men, just in case you think I'm preaching this and I've arrived, she has to beg me to rub her back. I'm sorry, baby, I'm busy. Hurts my hands. Man, I'm convicted about that. Meeting her needs like they're my needs. That's the charge for the husband that's loving his wife as Christ loved the church. Say something else that Christ did while he was here is he opened his mouth. He showed up in the flesh. He walked with people. He was lowly. He was attentive to their needs. And he opened his pie hole. He opened his mouth when he showed up. Everywhere he went, everywhere you see him, he's teaching and he's preaching. There's four books here, the Gospels, that are just full of this red-letter feast. Because when this husband showed up for his bride, he opened his mouth and he proclaimed and he taught and he exposed truth to her. That's to be the character of the husband and his relationship with his, with his wife. As they went by the way, he's teaching. As they sat on a hillside, he's teaching. As they rocked around in a boat, he's teaching. As they sat at the dinner table, he's teaching. Everywhere. And all the time. When I started thinking about the character of the Lord's uh, teaching, uh, I've been reading um, Green Eggs and Ham to Daniel. Have you ever read Green Eggs and Ham? This joker's trying to introduce Green Eggs and Ham everywhere. On a boat, on a plane, in a car, on a train. He's like, no, man, I don't want that. But I started thinking about the, the, the saturation of this 
eat these green green eggs and ham. That's the sort of character of the teaching ministry of Christ. It was on a boat. It was on a plane. It was in a car. It was on a train. It's everywhere. And that's to be the character of the husband's ministry to his wife. He's supposed to be opening his mouth teaching. Ephesians chapter 5. I hope you're still there. Look at verse 26. Starting in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. What's he doing? Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. These whole books full of red letters is the bath for the church. It's what we live in. He even said, true disciples will abide in my word. That's how important these words are, and that's what this husband gave his bride us. And men, I'm charging you to realize that you can't love your wives just as Christ loved the church without teaching her and leading her in the truth. And you can't wash her with a word that you don't even, you don't even know where the bathtub is. Man, I'll tell you, some of y'all are visitors today. I've beat this man up, this straw man. This straw man really exists. But for the sake of making him look like a goober, I'm going to make him look like a goober in front of you. The guy that walks in with his hands in his pockets on Sunday morning and his wife has her big doily-covered Bible with all kind of markers poking out of it. I mean, she's feasting on that thing. If the thing falls open, you just see highlighter everywhere. She's got a smile on her face. She's ready to dine. And he's got his hands in his pockets. <sighs> what time is it going to be over? Where are we eating? What time is the egg hunt? That's not a man. Folks, that's not a man. That's uh, Clint Eastwood. Uh, where did that come from? John Wayne? I don't know where that came from. But the biblical man, the man who's loving his wife like, like Christ loved the church, is washing in this. He's swimming in it. Because he's going to be bathing his wife in that. And he can't bathe his wife in something that he doesn't know. So he's feasting on it. That's why I'm begging you men while your schedules are so busy and you're all over the world and you're doing all kind of crazy stuff and you've got overtime, you've got all these opportunities to be gone on Sundays to feast, to make time, make it a priority. And then if you have to be away, listen to the word. You need it to be equipped to minister to that woman. I can't be her shepherd. That's what they do to the pastors. You know what I'm talking about. Wives calling the pastor, calling me. Hey, can you help me with this? And I'm thinking to myself, where's your shepherd? He working overtime? I already got one to shepherd. And I want to give her what I've got, everything I've got. I don't have time to be shepherd to 800 women. That's the man's job. That's the husband's job to bathe her in the word, to wash her with the word. Men, I ask you this question to think about. Have you ever read a book? I could just ask that question. I'm going to finish it off. Hey, that's a better question. Have you ever read a book other than um, a Wildlife and Fisheries Guide? I don't know. Have you ever read a book with your wife in view? I'm not talking about a book on submission. <laughs> like, hey, babe, boy, I read this book on submission. Now, here's what it said. I'm talking about reading a book that with her in view. Where you're saying, man, I want to be equipped for how to minister to her better. Have you ever done that? Do you read the Bible ever thinking, I want to be equipped with something to minister to my wife, to wash her and cleanse her with the word? That's the character of the ministry of the husband who's loving his wife just as Christ loved the church. The next thing he did... Our Christ, as he prepared this little microchurch for glory. The washing with word wasn't just for the purpose of just busy work. He wasn't bathing these guys in these red letters just to kind of occupy them for a while. He was up to something. And the men that are bathing their wives in the word and cleansing them with the word, they're up to something. There's something in view. And that something is right here in this verse. Look back at verse 26, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Verse 27, so that. I love so that. Pay attention. 
So he's bathing her with the word for a purpose. And that's so that, that he might present the church to himself in splendor. So that he may present his wife to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy and without blemish. As I thought about that and I considered that I'm supposed to love Christy just as Christ loved the church, I realized I've never really thought about that in terms of Christy, that I have this responsibility to, to, to groom her, to prepare her, to shine her up with the ministry of the Word, with this teaching, gentle, lowly ministry, so that she's going to be presented beautiful and spotless. She's going to stand before the heavenly court someday. And I'll be held accountable for whether I prepared her. Have you ever thought about that, men? Are you just surviving and existing and eating dinner and going to bed and getting up? That's what I'm talking about, the difference between a chaplain ministry where we're just dealing with your needs or a pastoral ministry that's leading us on a journey. We're on a journey, men. And this journey is equipping you to prepare your bride, to prepare your children, to prepare yourself. Our Lord's life on earth was about preparing and equipping His own for glory. He knew they're going to be standing before the heavenly court someday. He knew that they're going to bear my name after I'm gone. And I want to make sure that I've prepared them and readied them for this presentation. Husbands, you play a part in the readiness of your wives for eternity. How about that? You need a reason for living? How about that? You need a reason for getting through the week? Something to be about? That's worthwhile. You can't love your wife just as Christ loved the church without loving her toward presentation. Because that's the way Jesus loved. Lastly, that's not last, next to last. He died for her. Our Christ died for the church. Romans 5.8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the agape love I'm talking about. While we're yet sinners, while we don't rate it, that love reached down, that grace reached low, and died for us. The righteous died for the unrighteous. Our Christ gave all that he had for his bride, even when he was betrayed, even when he was denied by his bride, even when he was crucified. And his love and his actions weren't based on the merit of the people on the receiving end, but on his decision to love them, as it says in John 13, to the end. That's the sort of love a husband is to have for his wife. I used to think about this passage in Ephesians 5 like the Secret Service agent. I bet you've seen it in a movie or something, like where the president is out talking or he's going to his car and somebody shoots and the Secret Service agent dives and he takes the bullet. Ooh! That that's going to be the picture. That's what it means. If somebody ever breaks in our home and they're wielding a gun, you know, and they shoot at Christy, I'm going to dive out there. I'm going to give myself up for her. The reality is that what this is talking about is that that Genesis 3 dude, remember that jerk? That jerk is dying every day. He's taking bullets hourly for his bride. That's what it means to give yourself up for her. Lastly, his love was surgical and his love was focused and his love was specific. I think the first passage of scripture I ever learned in my life was John 3.16. My dad uh, baited me with a bag of peanut M&Ms. You get these if you learn this verse. And I was hungry. <laughs> so I learned it. And I learned it the way most people have learned it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And I just always envisioned this big kumbaya love, like the Coca-Cola commercial where they all hold hands and sing. And this big volume love. And then, oh yeah, there's Christ. And since diving into Greek and understanding the original languages, 
I now appreciate that that's not a volume love. The way that is appropriately translated, and there are, there's, even the Holman Christian Standard has a really good translation of this. Your ESV has a note at the bottom that has the better translation. It goes something like this. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his only begotten son. It's not this big old kumbaya love. It's this surgical, like a rifle. A rifle shoots one. I, I, somebody told me, man, you need to explain the difference between a rifle and a shotgun. Shotgun shoots a bunch of BBs. A rifle just has one bullet. For God loved the world in this way. He sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish. God loved specifically. Turn to John chapter 17. I want to show you now that the son loves specifically. And I want to show you what that has to do with the husband and the wife. We're going to get to John chapter 17 eventually. And I'm so eager to get there. We have a sea of red to swim through once we get back to John before we get there. But John chapter 17 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Christ is praying for his microchurch. He's praying for us, too. 2,000 years in advance, he's in the final hours of his life before the cross. It's like his last words, and he's spending time with his father praying. And here's what he says. Listen, starting in verse 6. He says, Father, he's praying. I have manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. That sounds specific. I've manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. Yours there were, and you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for I've given them the words that you gave me, and they've received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they've believed that you sent me. Listen to what he says in verse 9. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world. But I'm praying for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. What I want you to see and appreciate is the character of God's love for the world is surgical and specific. He sent his, his son. That's the rifle shot. And then here's a surgical love from Christ where he's not praying for everything. He's praying for those who are his, who've been given to him. It's a very surgical, specific sort of love. And as Christ loves surgically and specifically, the love for the wife from the husband who's loving her just as is to be surgical and specific and special. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, remember what it said? It said, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. It doesn't say, husbands love your children as Christ loved the church. It doesn't say, husbands, love your friends as Christ loved the church. It doesn't say, husbands, love your job as Christ loved the church. And here speaking as one of the elders at Crosspoint who's neck deep in ministry, it doesn't say, husbands, love your ministry as Christ loved the church. It says, husbands, love your wives. It's pretty surgical. It's pretty specific. What I've realized in studying this is that this means that this love, my love for this, this wonderful woman right here is primary above all human loves. I love the people at Crosspoint. And I love my children. But my love for Christy, if it's to be just as Christ loved the church, is to be higher than any other love apart from love for Christ. It's a primary love. There's no job. There's no ministry. Yes, hear it. There's no relationship that is ever to take priority over this special, specific, and surgical love. And why is it that? Because it's about Christ in the church. (laughs) That's what's at stake. Now, I know right now you probably have two nagging questions. If you've been listening to this, you're like, man... Woo, that's high call. Man, I think I agree. The women had it easier. I hope that women are thinking that. You may not. But I bet men are sitting there going, dude, 
You may have two nagging questions. Here's one question that I, I would expect would be a nagging question. What happens when God is blessing our job or our ministry? What happens when this thing is just like a runaway train? What is it when it seems that God is opening up opportunities for just this incredible amount of overtime at L3? I know that's an opportunity at L3. It's right down the road. I, I, I'm not there, but I know what's going on. What happens when our ministry seems to be blessed like a runaway train? I ask you this question, would it ever be right for me to sacrifice my marriage on the altar of ministry or job? Ever? <laughs> Is there a certain size church when it's acceptable for my marriage to become an afterthought? You might be thinking right now, well, you know, we got 300-something people here on a Sunday, 170, 60, whatever, members. You can say that because it's manageable right now. Brad and I have talked about this. If this church blows up to 5,000, I'm not sacrificing her. It may never blow up to 5,000 because I'm not sacrificing her. Period. Because it looks to me that this relationship is primary. We are to love our wives just as Christ loved the church. It makes it look like it's primary. If we're honest, a lot of times where we negotiate, where it ends up husband is away from wife for extended periods of time or taking this tons of overtime or whatever, if we're honest, a lot of times, I'm not saying always, a lot of times it's about money. I want you to know, turn to 1 Timothy. I want you to know 1 Timothy chapter 6. As I prepared this thought, I was like, oh man, I know I'm going to step on some serious toes in this. But thankfully, I'm not a motivational speaker. And thankfully, my charge is not to be liked. But it's to expose the truth, whatever violence it does to us. A lot of times when we take extreme opportunities to step away from this primary relationship, it has to do with money. Listen to this passage. Page 993, 1 Timothy chapter 6, the last part of verse 2. Teach and urge these things, Paul tells Timothy. He says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Listen to why he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Guys, I'm calling you out. If you're dismissing what I'm saying today, you're like, dude, you don't understand. I got bills. Or I got dreams. Here's what it says. I'm just reading it. I didn't write it. I'm just going to read it. He says, this guy, this guy that is dismissing these words from the Lord, has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. What? Now, there's great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Dudes, if it's overtime or what, insert X that's given you an opportunity to step away from this, this supposed to be incarnate, in the flesh, walking, talking, opening mouth ministry, whatever that is, it doesn't stack to this statement, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. You can't justify it. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Dudes. I know how we can rationalize it. Man, we got bills to pay. We got dreams. We got a trip we want to go on. I got to do this. This is a narrow window of opportunity. We got to ride that train while we got it. Understand how we do that. I haven't been a pastor my whole life. I've been out there in the real world. It happens in my heart too. I'm made of the same stuff. We cannot rationalize it. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils and it's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs if we're honest a lot of times when we take those sort of opportunities it's about money 
And the reality is money should not drive our decisions in how to love our wives. Who's the Lord in that case? You might be thinking, well, how do you balance it all? That's the second question. First question, how, what happens to God's blessing job or ministry, giving us these opportunities for overtime? How do you balance it all? I don't think you do. When Paul was writing about ministry and marriage, he said, I choose not to marry. Because <laughs> you know why? Because it'll cramp my ministry. I think there's an implied sermon in that. That if you are married, it's supposed to cramp whatever. Whatever. Because <laughs> she's primary. She becomes your primary ministry. Paul said he chose not to marry because it would hold back his ministry. And the implied message is that, that your marriage is your primary ministry and mission, even over your children, even over your job, even over my ministry. Christy comes first for me. Paul did not say, husbands, love your jobs as Christ loved the church. He did not say, love your ministries as Christ loved the church. He did not say, love your children as Christ loved the church. He said, love your wives. That's surgical. Now, some of you might be thinking, dude, I got to go to work. <laughs> I got to get in my car in the morning and go to work. How is this supposed to work? What you're describing sounds like I'm going to be wearing an apron around the house, chasing my wife with a wash basin. Let me wash your feet, baby. That's not what I'm talking about. Yes, we've got to provide for our families. We're supposed to provide for our families. But know that provision for your wife is not a bigger paycheck. Provision for your wife is yourself. That's what she needs. If you're the one that are doing all these things, washing her with the word, nobody else can do that. A paycheck can't even do that. A nicer house can't do that. Only you can do that. You being in the flesh, you walking, you being lowly, you teaching, you equipping her for glory, and you dying for her. She has dibs over all other commitments because of what it, what's at stake. What's at stake is the gospel. It's about Christ and the church, remember? <laughs> I have this question in my notes, and here's where I get personal. I told Christy I wasn't going to embarrass her because it's about me. I asked this question as I preparing this message all week. I'll ask you right now. Man, do I love my wife like that? I ask you, man, do you love your wives like this? As I was preparing this message and I asked that question, I had to be straight with Christy and I said, I don't love you like that. In fact, here's how it unfolded Friday morning. We had uh, breakfast with some friends. And um, after that, we had a devotional time as a family. And I read the passage about, uh, or uh, I think it was from Luke, that I read about the passion. In detail, Christ getting nailed to the cross and all the, the you know, putting the tomb, vacates the tomb. Oh, no, we didn't get that far yet because that was going to happen today. But just preparing them for where to be in, in heart and in mind over the course of the weekend. And I did this with the family, and at the end of it, I prayed, the shepherd for the family, I prayed, Lord, just give us a sensitivity toward each other, a gentleness, a tenderness. Just in light of this cross, soften our hearts toward each other and just make us low, loving, and gentle. Guard our words of how we speak to each other. Amen. I get up and I look out the front window and the garbage men did not pick up our limbs that I tied up. You know what I'm talking about. The garbage won't pick it up unless it's tied with twine. So I got out there and I got all scraped up tying those limbs with twine. And they didn't pick it up. And I was hacked. I was ready to rip some garbage men head off. So I stormed into the kitchen and I grabbed the phone book and I'm looking for garbage man. What, where, where would I look under? What I, gee? And finally, I found the number. And I reach for the phone, and Evan walks in and says, Hey, Daddy, can I play some video games? And I'm like, No! <laughs> video games? It's beautiful outside. Get outside. 
I reach for the phone again. Christy comes back in there and says, that was harsh. I said, no, it wasn't. (laughs) Christy walks back out. I've got the phone. I'm about to dial. And someone calls for Christy. And I just look at it and I'm frozen. I can't even answer it. I just shout to Christy, it's for you. And it rings. And on the third ring, she comes in there and she says, well, answer it. And I said, no, I need to call the garbage man. And the whole day, I'm telling you, it's 5 p.m. This was about 9.30 in the morning. I was hacked all day long. And 5 p.m., I'm laying on the floor of my den. And I said, Christy, I am a sad, sorry unit. The words were scarce out of my mouth. And I'm speaking to my family and my wife in the very way that I'm praying that we don't do it. As I, and, and, and I shared with her, I said, you know, I'm preparing this message. And I'm asking this question, do I love my wife like Christ loved the church? And I'm going, no, I don't. But I want to. And I want to now for a different reason than I used to want to. I used to want to so life would be harmonious. So she would smile. Because she's prettier when she smiles. She's pretty even frowning. But. Things in life is just better. When I'm loving her as Christ loved the church. So used to be I wanted to do that just because, man, life is better. People want to hang out with us and kids will be happy, you know. Life will be harmonious around the house. But now what I've realized based on this Ephesians passage where he says it's about Christ and the church is that now I have a whole new reason. It's not just for happiness. Now it's because the gospel is on display in how I love this woman. I asked this question to myself. I thought, man, if my neighbors and my family and my friends didn't have the Bible or they didn't have a teacher or they didn't have a preacher, they didn't have access to this, would they see the gospel in the way that I love this woman? And I had to say, honestly, no. If that's all they had, poor things. And I was convicted about it. But now I'm convicted for a whole different reason. I'm convicted because it's Christ's name and it's the gospel at stake. You might think this is obvious, but it's not obvious. I have people all the time come to me and say, hey man, I want to talk to you about my marriage. I'm like, okay, well let's talk about Christ. I, I already got Christ. I already got that squared away. I'm saved. Let's talk about my marriage. I'm like, wait a second. That's like saying my cancer's under control. Can, I want to talk about this cut on my finger. Because marriage is the gospel, and the gospel is marriage. And how a man treats his wife has everything to do with the gospel. And how a wife follows her husband has everything to do with the gospel. So we can't talk about marriage without talking about the gospel. It's hard to know whether Paul was talking about one or the other, and I'm resigned to the reality that he's talking about both. Marriage and the gospel. Now I know that this, is, this message is probably a lot more difficult for some of you than others because some of you are a lot more stretched than others. I mean, just a thousand different ways. Some guys are home a lot, and it's a pretty easy transition to go, oh, yeah, well, I guess I want to love my wife as Christ loved the church. Some of you are not. You're gone for whatever reason. Are you at work requirements? However hard or difficult it may be for you, I cannot soften it for you. I cannot. If this is what it looks like to love your wife as Christ loved the church, then that's what it looks like. There's no workarounds. You can try and survive in a situation that's not like this, and that's all it is, is survival mode. It will never be beautiful and blessed. It's God's design, and it's lived out at three miles an hour, just like our Christ came. And just because our world is driving 75 Some of us are going 150. I can't work it around for you. We've got to slow down. We've got to reorient. We've got to beg our Christ to help us see this through because of what's at stake. It's the gospel at stake. If it's extreme, then it should be. 
If it sounds extreme, it's because it's in keeping with things like a worldwide flood. I'm going to call that extreme. If it sounds extreme, it's probably because it's in keeping with things like a plagues where frogs and gnats and hail is dropping and killing cows. I'm going to call that extreme. If it sounds extreme, it's probably in keeping with things like city walls around a whole city dropping. It's probably because it's in keeping with giants tumbling and flames blazing and lions roaring and a cross. If it seems extreme, like, dude, you, you've gone overboard in what you're calling husbands out to. If it seems extreme, it's probably in keeping with a cross and blood and suffering and an uh, occupied tomb and then an empty tomb. If it seems extreme, it's in keeping with something called eternity. <laughs> now that's extreme. We're talking about eternities at stake. Every time of the year around this time, there are these guys that get nailed to a cross. Happens a lot in Mexico. I think there's a kind of a new trend in the Philippines. These jokers will they get nailed to a cross. I saw pictures where they're all wrapped with cloth, kind of holding them up there. And they get like a little nail in their hand. Ooh, and then they get down. They're up there for like 30 seconds or five minutes or whatever. One guy said he did it because his, his kid was sick and he wanted it to help his, you know, one God to help his, heal his kid. So he's going to get nailed to a cross. You know, there was a time where that'd be impressive to me. That's not impressive to me anymore. This dude's impressive. This just-ass lover. This guy that's loving his wife just as Christ loved the church. Now that's impressive. Because it's not this for five minutes. It's daily nailed to a cross. That's impressive. What we're celebrating today in an empty tomb, we ought to be singing anew. Because <laughs> that's where the resources come from for this. The fact that Christ was buried, the fact that he vacated a tomb, means that he went, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he gave us something in his place, someone. He gave us the Holy Spirit that indwells us, that gives us the means and the goods to be this man. It won't happen overnight. It's in raging after Christ, and it's in walking with a spirit that will be changed over time to look more and more like this man. There's no workarounds. Let me pray. Lord, I pray that these last few minutes have done justice to this incredible gospel. Lord, I pray in these last few minutes that this high and whole and incredible relationship between the husband and his wife has been on display because the gospel has been on display. And that we've seen and we've appreciated and we've worshipped and we've enjoyed a Christ that put on flesh, a Christ that talked, a Christ that walked, a Christ that was lowly, a Christ that met needs, a Christ that died, and a Christ that loved surgically and specifically. Lord, I pray that as a result of this, that we are swallowing hard about our marriages and that we are just being even that much more thankful for grace, that the cross is finished, that saving work is finished, and that now, through the Holy Spirit indwelling us, that we can walk in obedience and look more and more like this every day. And that our children will see the gospel in the way Daddy treats Mommy. And that our neighbors will be evangelized as they see how Ben treats Christy. Lord, we need Jesus for this so bad. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's worship in song.